0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you have access to other resources information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Seven weekends ago, we began a series together, and I began by asking you two questions. The first question was, how many of you desire to faithfully follow Jesus? And I can't say that it was 100% of you, but almost 100%, if not 100% in the room, said, hey, it's our desire that we want to faithfully follow Jesus. And so what we did by acknowledging that is we defined the target of our life. So then we ask a second question that's very important. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? If that is our target, if that's what we're aiming at, how do I know what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus? Because in answering that second question, there are two common mistakes that we make in our church context in North America. One of the ways that we answer the question, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like, is with the answer, spiritual activity. And if you answer it that way, then you diagnose Whether or not you're faithfully following Jesus by asking the question, am I doing all the right things? And then maybe, am I not doing all the wrong things? It's a do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. And you see a lot of churches, their pattern of discipleship, that's what it looks like. It's about getting people to commit to do the right things and not do the wrong things. And when we're all not doing the same things and doing the same things, then we're all faithfully following Jesus. The other common mistake we make in answering that question is we answer it not with spiritual activity but with spiritual information. And if that's the way that we answer the question then then we ask this question am i do i know all the right information? And if this is the way that we disciple people, then the goal is to make sure they go through a series of classes and they understand all the same theological information. And when everybody can answer the questions the same way, then we're faithfully following Jesus. The problem is both of those fall so short of the way the New Testament defines what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. And that's why I came across an interesting statistic this week. If you know the name George Barna... He's a big researcher in the world of faith and Christianity, and George Barna was enlisted by a group called the Navigators, or NavPress. The Navigators are one of the largest, most solid discipleship ministries in the United States, and really they're now all over the world. And they enlisted him to study churches in North America and ask the question, are we effective at making disciples? And listen to this statistic, less than one percent. Okay, it's not going to end well if that's how it starts, right? Less than 1% of senior pastors say that today's churches are doing very well at discipling believers. Let me tell you why that's a big deal. We only have one mission And the mission is to make disciples. That's the whole reason we exist as the church. Jesus has set us apart to be on mission to make disciples. And this most recent study says that less than, we can't even lie and say 1%, less than 1% of senior pastors say we're doing a good job at making disciples. And I think the reason is because we really don't understand what a disciple is, and you'll never hit a target that you're not aiming at. And so we've been trying to answer the question, and we started by going back to the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus. Because we said the Christian life, don't miss this, the Christian life is not you and I living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living His life in and through us. And if that's what Christianity really is, then the starting place is to go to the Gospels and understand the life of Christ. And we started there by saying, you can really take every story in the Gospels... That consumes the life of Jesus, and you can drop every story in the Gospels into one of three boxes. Either Jesus and his relationship with the Father, Jesus and his relationship with his disciples, or Jesus and his relationship with people that don't know God at all. And so here's what we said. If that's who Jesus is, and that's how he lived, and the Christian life is now Jesus living in and through me, what is the Christian life going to look like? A relationship with God, a relationship with other disciples, and a relationship with people that don't know God at all, right? And we gave you three words. Say them with me. Abide, connect, and share. These three words really summarize what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. First of all, the word abide. This describes our intimate love relationship with God. Above anything else, God has invited us into a love relationship with Himself. He's not invited us into religion. He's not invited us into a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. He has invited us to Himself to know Him, to love Him, and to allow His life to spill out of our lives. It's an intimate, personal love relationship with God that we're able to have because Jesus died on the cross for our sin, rose again from the dead, so that we can be given that which we do not deserve, a personal relationship with God. If you get this principle of abide, say amen. But following Jesus is not just about a relationship with God. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. It's about connecting with other believers in fellowship. And it's my relationship with God that gives me my relationship with you. But it's my relationship with you that deepens and grows and fulfills my relationship with God. But following Jesus is not just about us over here in our holy huddle. Knowing God and loving each other, following Jesus is also about a relationship with people that don't know God at all. God brought us into relationship with Himself, and He's given us a relationship with one another so that as He lives His life out through us, we get to share in His mission locally and globally. And The reason we've given you this is to establish a paradigm so that you and I can lay it down on our lives. When I was in seminary, my my kids laugh at me about this, but I didn't get my first computer until I was in seminary. I started, I went all through college and halfway through seminary typing my papers on something called a typewriter. Some of you in the room can appreciate that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you in the room have no clue what I'm talking about. I might as well said I'm rock from Mars. You don't know what I'm talking about when I say a typewriter. We had these things called typewriters where you type your paper. Well, the seminary that I went to was so structured with how they wanted your papers to be turned in. We had about a 500 page book called Kate Turabian's Style for Writing Research Papers. If you've ever even been close to that book, I hope your counseling is going well, right? Because I'm telling you, man, it's awful. I mean, every little thing has got to be, and so what they gave us when we started seminary was this this paradigm that we could lay down on every page of our paper, and if the page numbers and the margins and the headings and the footers and all, didn't fit exactly in that square, they wouldn't even read the paper, much less grade it. What we've done with this is to try to give you a paradigm. We all said, I want to faithfully follow Jesus. What does it look like? Intimate love relationship with God. It's daily, it's personal, it's growing. Connecting relationship where I'm fellowshipping with other believers in large group gatherings and small group. And then I'm sharing in the mission locally and globally. We're to lay that down on our lives. And here's what I want you to hear me say. If my life is out of bounds in any of those areas, because here's what we tend to think. We tend to think things like, well, I'm, I'm doing good in my relationship with God, and I'm going to church, and i got the small group, I'm working on that, and I'm, I'm still working on this shared thing. We, we tend to think of it compartmentalized. But what I'm telling you is, this is the life of Jesus intimate fellowship with the Father, connection with other believers, sharing in the mission. If I'm laying this down on my life and I can't see Christ in me in all of these relationships, then there's an area in my life where I need to grow in being conformed to the image of Christ. And this all really began to sink in for me 1998, 1999, I'd been walking with God for about 10 years. I'd been a Christian for about 10 years. And I'd been through that whole struggle of trying to be a good Christian. Then a guy began to kind of mentor me and disciple me. And he taught me this principle that the Christian life is not me living for Jesus, but Jesus living through me. And he taught me to begin to pursue Christ's life in the Gospels. And by that I mean in my regular devotional time, I read all of the Bible, but about every second or third book of the Bible, I'll go back to the Gospels to just try to glean more truth about who Jesus is because, again, my life is His life in me. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about just to try to help you really understand it. Right now, here's an example right now. I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew right now in my personal devotional time. And I'm trying to continue to pursue the life of Christ in the Gospels. Let me tell you something I'm learning right now. You know what I notice about Jesus' life in the Gospels? he's never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. And he also never seems to be interrupted. (laughs) Here's what I mean by that. The things that look like interruptions, by the time you read to the end of the story, are actually a part of the plan. And so I look at my life. I'm always in a hurry. And I feel like I'm constantly getting interrupted. So here's what I'm asking myself right now. Lord, what am I putting on my agenda that you didn't put there? God, what am I allowing to dominate my schedule that's not of you? Because, Lord, you've given me all the time today that I need to accomplish everything today that you want me to do and if there's stuff today that I can't get to it's either something that I put there that you didn't want me to do or I've let something else get in there and taken the place of what you really wanted me to do does that make sense say amen So that's what I mean when I say looking for the life of Christ. Beyond just the historical reality that he he was sinless, he died, he rose again, he ascended back. Well, that's great. That's the truth of who Jesus is. But there's a whole life of who Jesus is that I think sometimes we miss because we read the Bible through our Christian lenses and we miss the reality of who Christ is. And although Jesus is so infinitely much more than a model, it doesn't change the reality that He also is a model of what it looks like for a human being to live a life in total dependence on God and allow God in you to work through you for His glory. So that's where I was 1999, starting this journey of pursuing the life of Christ in the Gospels. I get to Luke chapter 4. If you got your Bible open there, Luke chapter 4. I want to read you a couple of verses here. God just really interrupted my life with these verses. And He has the right to do that. Amen. Luke 4 verse 42. Look what it says. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for Him and came to Him. And tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. So... He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So as we kind of transition in this series and finish up talking about share, and then we're going to launch into something else next week that I'm going to tell you about in just a little bit that takes this series to another level for us. I want to share with you three final realities out of these verses that I hope grab your heart today. Here's the first one. As I follow Jesus, What's on His heart will be on my heart. I want you to read that out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. As I follow Jesus, what is on His heart will be on my heart. Just makes sense, right? I mean, it really happens in any relationship. You spend enough time with somebody, guess what happens? You start caring about what they care about. Give me an example from my life. When I was in college, I didn't care about anything being clean, right? I didn't care at all. Matter of fact, when I was in college, I would wear absolutely every piece of clothing I had before I did laundry, and even before I did laundry, I would then run through the second loop of the smell test. Right? You know what I'm talking about? That's still good. I can wear that, right? And when ever, I mean, literally everything was done, then it's time to do laundry. You don't have a choice, right? I've been married 23 years. I spent a lot of time with my wife, who is passionate about stuff being clean. You know what I've found about myself now? I care about that stuff. Even though I don't want to admit it, I now care about things I didn't used to care about at all because I spent a lot of time with my wife. And as we have developed our relationship, what's on her heart, guess what? It's gotten on my heart. Let me tell you what's on her heart. It needs to be clean, everything. Like white glove tests, clean. We have a saying in our house, there's clean and there's Christy clean. Everything has got to be Christy clean standards. But here's what's funny now. Now, I care about that stuff. Here's what I'm saying to you. As you walk with Jesus, what's on his heart, it gets on your heart. And let me tell you what I saw that morning in Luke chapter 4. Jesus kind of peeled back the layers a little bit and let me see his heart. And here's where I saw it. In that phrase, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God. Sometimes, again, we read the Bible so much that we pull the emotion and the excitement and the passion out of it. But I want you to hear how the Greek construction of that phrase. It's Jesus said this. He said, I must didn't just say I might or I'm thinking about it I must the word must is a word that means it's absolutely necessary and the way it's constructed here in the original language is a phrase that describes not something that was a momentary passion but it was something that every minute of every hour every hour of every day every day of every week every week of every month every month of every year was the consuming passion of the life of Jesus Jesus said I must about this and when I saw it I saw a passion in him that wasn't in me at all let me tell you what this passion was it was first of all a passion for God's kingdom did you hear it I must preach the kingdom of God so here I am I'm sitting there I'm looking for stuff in Jesus that's not in me I see this word, must. It jumps off the page. I see Jesus screaming his passion. And I see the the fill in the blank is he's passionate about the kingdom of God. And as I sat there, here's what my response was, Lord. Not only is that not my passion, I really don't even know what that is. If you'd have told me right then, stand up and give a definition. What if right now I said, uh, I'm going to call on one of you to stand up and give me a definition of the kingdom of God. You ready? Ready? Uh, yeah, right, we're having that Southwest Airlines moment, right? Nobody's making eye contact. (laughs) What if I said, stand up, give a definition of the kingdom? I couldn't have done it. So not only did I not even know what it was, there's no way I could say it was a passion of my life. And yet here's Jesus saying the consuming passion of his life is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I begin to research it. Did you know that there are over 100 different references in 16 different books of the New Testament to the kingdom of God? Here's the way I think about that. If God says something one time in the Bible, that means it's a big deal, right? I mean, He doesn't have to repeat it. If it makes the book, we should probably pay attention. If you got that, say amen. Now, the kingdom of God didn't just make the book of the books of the New Testament use the phrase, and it's used over a hundred different times. So what is the kingdom of God? For sake of time, let me give you a definition. Here's the kingdom of God. It's God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with Himself. It's the big picture of the mission of God, the eternal purpose of God. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world. And here's the result of that, people being in right relationship with Himself. Now, what I want to do is try to break that sentence down for you into three little statements to help us have some handles about the kingdom of God. Here's the first one. The kingdom is believers. The kingdom is believers. Look at this verse on the screen. It's out of the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Listen to what it says. It's the end of time. Jesus is at the center here, and they're saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. For you, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a, say it out loud, kingdom. The kingdom is believers. Here's what that means. Everywhere you meet a person who has been born again through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, everywhere you meet someone that's heard the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and they've been born again into relationship with God, here's what you see, an expression of the kingdom of God. Guess what? All over this building this morning, every one of you that are children of God, having been born again into relationship with God through the blood of Jesus, you are a part of the kingdom of God. That means that you and I are not just members of a church. We are citizens of a kingdom, and it is a glorious kingdom that is alive and expanding all over the world. The kingdom is believers. When you meet a brother or sister in Christ, you experience the kingdom of God. Second thing, the kingdom is big. Did you hear what he said? Every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And what we're reading in Revelation is the real end of the story. It's the glorious grand climax. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation represented around the throne of God. Pastor Brian Hook and I... Got on an airplane. Brian was a a year ago, 15 months ago, and we we traveled to Southeast Asia. We got on a plane, and we connected like five different times here to Seattle, Seattle to Tokyo, Tokyo to Bangkok, Bangkok to another place, and then to another place. And then you get in a car, and you drive about two hours outside of the airport, and you meet these people. And then we jumped in a car with them. We drove across the border into another country we weren't even supposed to get into, and we go into this country, and we drive another two and a half hours way out into the bush of Southeast Asia. I'm telling you, as remote of a place as I've ever been in my life, I don't see anybody anywhere that looks like me. I mean, we are way out there. We're on a road that's, I guess you could call it a road, and then they say, we're about to get off this road and get on a lesser road, and I'm thinking, this is a lesser road. and So we turn off into what looks like bushes. I mean, literally, the grass is taller than our car, as far as you can see. And there's this dirt beat up. I mean, we're just bouncing all over the car. Brian and I in the back seat like popcorn, just bouncing off of each other. And we drive out through that for 45 minutes to an hour. So, man, we've traveled halfway around the world. We come to this little clearing in the brush, and there's a little hut sitting up on stilts with grass-thatched roof. And all along, the The ledge of that little hut, there's these little people, and they're just waving. Like they've been waiting all year on us to get there. They're just waving. I don't know how they knew we were coming in, but they're standing all center, just waving, hanging out the windows, waving. We walk into that little hut. We sit down. We don't speak their language. They don't speak ours, and they just start singing. And we have no idea the words that they're singing, but I'm telling you, we know who they're singing about. And they start singing about Jesus. Here we are on the other side of the world. I couldn't get you back there if my life depended on it. But let me tell you what's there. The kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is expanding there. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Churches are being planted. Why? Because the kingdom of God is big. Let me tell you a third thing about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is being built. Being built. Look at this verse, Matthew chapter 24. Look what he says. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then look what he says. This will upset your apple cart on a Sunday morning. And then the end will come. (laughs) Uh, The end of what? (laughs) The end of the world as you know it. Here's what I mean by that. You see, we've gotten so comfortable in our bland generic Christianity that's just this little side part of our life we've gotten so comfortable with the expression of Christianity in North America that we've forgotten that this whole thing is moving somewhere we are moving towards a grand and glorious climax when one day King Jesus is going to step out of eternity and the Bible says the Lord himself is going to descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and then the dead in Christ are are going to be raised first. Then we, who are alive and remain, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Now here's what this verse says. Right now, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached. The good news of the kingdom is being shared, and the kingdom of God's being built. Right now, today, all over the world, men and women and young people and boys and girls are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in every tribe, every tongue, every language, every culture, every people. But one day, the last soul will be ushered into the kingdom of God, and the Father will say to the Son, Son, your bride is ready. And the end will come. Right now, you and I are part of a kingdom of God that's big and it's being built all over the world. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. God brought you and God brought me into relationship with Himself so that... We could share in his mission of expanding his kingdom to the ends of the earth. God didn't just bring you to himself to bless your life and give you your best life now. God brought you to himself so that out of the overflow of your intimate love relationship with Him, Christ in you, working through you, could share in His mission locally and globally. And this is not what I'm saying. This is not just something, well, I'm working. No, this is who Jesus is. And to the degree I'm allowing Christ in me to live through me, guess what it looks like? I'm sharing in the mission of the kingdom. Here's what it means. Mission is not what we do as followers of Jesus. Mission's just who we are. Listen to the way John Piper said it. Look what he said on the screen. He said, if we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that will lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand, and He will accomplish all His purposes. His triumph is never in question. Only our participation in it. Our incalculable loss. When I read you Revelation chapter 5, hey, that's already happening. It's done. In eternity, it's already established. It is a glorious scene that we are going. It's not what might happen. It's what will happen. The question today is whether you and I are going to be a part of what God is doing, And here's what Jesus said about his own life. Listen to it carefully. I must. And I'm afraid for most of us today, at best, it's I might. Just in case you think I'm building too much on this phrase Jesus used, I must... I want you to hear what Jesus said in another place in the gospels, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus said. Seek what? First the what? Kingdom of God. And for all the linguistic scholars in the room, that is not a suggestion, it's an imperative. Meaning he wasn't laying it on the table as an option for us to consider. It's a command. Jesus said the number one, meaning everything else in your life should revolve around the kingdom of God. But there's another part of this. Not just God's kingdom, Jesus was passionate about God's kingdom being expanded. Do you hear what he said? There's another phrase that jumped off the page that morning to me. Look what he said. I must preach the kingdom to the other cities also. Do you hear it? Other cities. The heart cry of those who had not yet responded to the gospel motivated Jesus. Jesus was driven by the reality that there were people that hadn't heard about the gospel, that didn't know about the king, and that had not been ushered into the kingdom of God. It was a passion of his life. This little phrase, other cities, the word other in the Greek language, there are two, two words that in the Greek language we translate with the word other. One of them is a word that means other. It's the word "allos." It means another of the same kind. The second of these words is the Greek word heteros. It means another of a different kind. And the word that he's using here is not the word alas, another of the same kind. It's the word heteros, another of a different kind. Meaning that what Jesus is talking about here is crossing cultural barriers with the gospel. He's saying that sharing in the mission demands multicultural expressions of the gospel. And it demands crossing cultures with the gospel. It means that if we are going to live this out as a fellowship where we do live... We need to be multicultural, and where we don't live, we need to cross cultures geographically with the gospel. What does it look like for us here at Hope? Well, let me give you another verse of scripture Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look what it says. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Did you hear it there? He said, guys, here's the plan. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest part of the earth. What does that look like for us? Here's what it looks like. Las Vegas, the West, and the world. God brought me into a relationship with Himself to share in His mission through my life locally, globally. Las Vegas, the West, and the world. I was doing some research this week on our city, let me tell you what I found out. There was an article on a website called marketwatch.com. It's a February 2nd article. You can find it. Here was the headline of the article, the title of the article. This is the most godless city in America. Guess where we fell on the list? Number four. Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, Las Vegas. Most godless city in America. of the people who live in our city have no relationship with Jesus Christ. That means over 1.9 million people. And I want you to hear me clearly. God brought you into relationship with Himself because He loves you. But He also brought you into relationship with Himself because He loves Las Vegas. And God desires for people in the city of Las Vegas to be exposed to His gospel and be brought and ushered into the kingdom of God. And let me tell you that's going to happen. You're the plan. You're the plan. The West. He said, beyond, he's beyond Jerusalem, he said Judea and Samaria. What was that? That's a region surrounding their city. For us, it's the Western United States. Did you know this? That America is now the fourth largest lost nation on planet Earth? Did you know only China, India, and Indonesia have more lost people within their borders than the United States of America? We're number four on that list. Did you know this? 40% of the unchurched population in America, guess where they live? The Western United States. Here's what that means. Let me turn the lights on for you. We live in the center of the fourth largest numerical mission field on planet Earth. And God brought you to himself for such a time as this. God desire. Listen, I believe with all my heart that the only hope Pastor Michael, we talk about this a lot together the only hope for another great awakening in our country. I believe the only hope is the western United States. We're the last pre-Christian culture that exists in our country. And I believe if we're going to see a sweeping move of God across our land, it's going to begin in the western United States. And get this God brought you and God brought me to himself and God birthed our church for such a time not so that we could get over here in our holy huddle and just abide in Him and connect with each other and meet our needs. No! All that's wonderful. But He brought us to Himself so that through our lives we could share in the mission of reaching our region for the glory of God and expanding His kingdom. If you get that, say amen. Amen. But then He said the remotest part of the earth. Those places we don't even know how to get to. These places in the world where there are billions of people that have no access to the gospel. And I want you to hear me again. Jesus said, I must. And as I follow him, what's on his heart? Guess what happens? It gets on my heart. Let me share you a second truth out of these verses that God showed me. My relationship to the world is dependent on my fellowship with the Father. Read that out loud with me. My relationship to the world is dependent on my fellowship with the Father. Satan hates it when we get serious about expanding God's kingdom. Honestly, Satan could care less if we get in here and have great worship services. As long as when we leave here, we don't take it out of here. He can't do anything to us in here. We're saved. We're secure in Christ. We're going to heaven when we die. He's lost that battle. That's done. What he cares about is when we get passionate about taking what we got in here out there. And so what the enemy does is he creates weapons to use against the expansion of God's kingdom. Let me ask you a question. What's the greatest weapon of the enemy against the expansion of God's kingdom in the world? Some people think it's persecution. Like what's happening in the Middle East where we saw in in recent months Christians with their heads cut off. Christians being burned alive because of their faith in Jesus. Or like what we see in Southeast Asia where we have some of our pastors that are right now in wooden stocks, hands and feet simply because they won't stop preaching the gospel. Some people think persecution is the great enemy that keeps the gospel from expanding. But the reality is, as you study places in the world where the church is being persecuted, guess what? You'll find some of the strongest growing areas of Christianity. The gospel is exploding in, some of the, in the country of Iran. Iran right now is one of the fastest growing people movements to the gospel in the history of the world. 600 people a month are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in that country. And in the last 100 years, more people have come to faith in Christ in Iran than in the previous 19 centuries combined. So persecution is not the greatest weapon of the enemy. Some people think it's false doctrine, false teaching. But let me tell you what I think the greatest weapon is. I think it's right here in these verses. Look at him again. Verse 42. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for Him. And they came to Him, and listen, and tried to keep Him from going away from them. Here's what happened. We don't have time to walk through it all, but if you, if you read chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, they heard Jesus preach. And they heard him, and they, the Bible says in verse 32 of chapter 4 that they were amazed. They said, we've never heard anybody teach like Jesus teach. We've never heard preaching like Jesus preaches as somebody with authority. They, they heard him preach, and then they saw his power. As you read on down in verses 35 to 38, Jesus casts out demons out of people, and then they see the power of Jesus, and they, the Bible literally says they were amazed at his power. They, they stood in awe at the power of Jesus. And then they saw his compassion for people. In verses 40 to 42, you, you read where they were bringing people that were sick. And the Bible says that every one of them. It's the only place in the New Testament I found that he did it. But it says he literally laid his hands on every one of them and healed every single one of them. So here's what happened. These people heard Jesus teach. and They said, wow, we never heard teaching like this. They saw his power, and they they said, wow, we we need that power in our lives. And they they saw his compassion, and they said, man, we've never seen love like this. And they said, let's just do this. Let's just keep it all right here for us. Let me tell you the greatest weapon of the enemy against the expansion of God's kingdom. Here it is. You ready? It's the self-centeredness of the people of God. We care more about ourselves than we do the world Jesus died to save. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. It is impossible. Hear me. It's impossible to save. My relationship with God is good and not be sharing in the mission locally and globally. You are lying to yourself if you think your relationship with God's good and you're not engaged in the mission of God to expand His kingdom to the ends of the earth, starting right here in Las Vegas. See what we've done? We've created a Christianity that says, I can be all good with God, and I can just pray for people to go do that. I can give a little money to go do that. That's for somebody else. No, let me tell you who that is. That's who Jesus is. And the degree that I'm conformed to the image of Jesus, I begin to see my life, my job, my family, my career, everything, as being 100% on mission to be used by God for His glory. So let me ask you a question. Is your life consumed with building your empire... Or is your life consumed with the expansion of God's kingdom? I want you to just let that simmer for a minute. Well, when I get my career established, then I'll... Well, when I get my portfolio just right, then I'll... Well, when I get to this season of life and I get my kids raised, then I'll... Listen... There's nothing wrong with career advancement, nothing wrong with portfolios, nothing wrong with raising a family. But we should see all of those things as ways for us to leverage them for the expansion of the kingdom every day where I live, work, and play. My whole life has been brought into relationship with God to live on mission with Him. Well, how did Jesus overcome this obstacle? Well, the Bible tells us. Look at verse 42. Look what it says. When day came... Jesus left and went to a secluded place. Now Luke doesn't tell us what he did there, but Mark does. Look at Mark's account of the same story. verse Chapter 1, verse 35. Look what he says. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he arose, he went out to a lonely place, and was, say it out loud. Jesus, Jesus maintained the heart of the Father through spending intimate moments with him in fellowship hey listen I get it I live in America I know every day we have to fight the temptation to live our lives in pursuit of this thing called the American dream every day how do I make sure that that doesn't come the consuming passion of my life make more commitments to be involved in the mission no be with the father here's what happens as you be with him and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in christ let me tell you what happens what's on his heart gets on your heart yeah i get out there in the world and i start thinking about things and stuff and all that again and then you go be alone with jesus and what's on his heart and it grabs a hold of your heart again it's my fellowship with the father that maintains the right relationship. because to be honest left to ourselves in our own flesh we don't care about others. But it's Christ in us who begins to allow us to see people the way he sees them. It changes the way we live. And that's the last thing the life that I live should reflect the purpose that I have. I love the way this text ends. Verse 44. So he kept on preaching. Stay here, Lord. I'm about something bigger than that. So he went from city to city, place to place. He kept the the life that he lived, reflected the purpose that he had. Remember what I told you last weekend? Last weekend, here's what we said. You are the light of the world. You are the plan. You are God's plan for taking His message to Las Vegas, the West, and the world. You're the plan. And listen to me. There is no plan B. You the plan. Does the life that you live reflect the purpose that you have? Now, here's where this hit me in 1999. I'm in my quiet time. I see this in Jesus that I've just shared with you that's not in me. None of this was in me. And it broke me. I went and got my wife. We knelt down in our living room there in Memphis. And here's what we said. Lord, yes. You say, what was the question? (laughs) We didn't know. Lord, wherever, whenever, whatever, however, God, we put our family, our career, our future, got us all in your hands. The answer is yes. And two weeks later is when Johnny Hunt, approached me and said, Vance, we're starting a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I believe you're to be the pastor of that church. And The rest of the story is we've spent the last 15 years of our lives in this city trying to live out Luke chapter 4, trying to let God use us to raise up a people that say, not I might, but I must. I must share the good news of the kingdom to the other cities also because that's why we've been sent. And not to do that but to just let Christ in us be who He is through us and just live that. And so here's, here's my question for you today. Is your yes on the table? Now, I know, I know that's a scary question for some of us because what, what might God ask? <laughs> and I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know. For some of you, I mean, you stay right here in this city and you just use your platform, your family, everything to leverage it for God's glory among the nation. For some of you, five years from now, you may live on the other side of the world. But let me, let me give you testimony. I'm 15 years removed from my yes. It's been the greatest ride of my life. I'm telling you, when he called us, I thought, hmm, I don't know. (laughs) All the anxiety that you maybe have, I had the same thing. I don't want you to think we were like, yes, Lord, we're in. No, no, we were terrified. Yes, Lord, oh, God. (laughs) Greatest ride of my life.